Welcome to another edition of Campus Life, our weekly college-focused episode here on Campus to Canton. As always, I am Austin. And this is Colin. And we're going to get some housekeeping stuff out of the way quick here, guys, and we're going to jump right into the meat of the show. There is a lot going on. So just a couple of things here. Quick reminder, if you have not rated and reviewed the show yet, go ahead and do that. We are giving away the signed ETN jersey to everybody that's entered to do that. We'll be doing that live on next week's show, uh, recording that either Sunday or Monday nights, uh, TBD. Uh, but but that's going to happen there. So um, get your reviews in. And when you do that, take a screenshot of it, send it to one of us. I'm at Debbie Dietz on Twitter. Colin is at C2C Decker. Uh, you can email it to us. We have a Gmail account, uh, campus2canton at gmail.com. If you're in our Discord, you can DM us on there. Basically, any way that you want to get it to us, as long as we have it by next, let's say, we'll put the, probably put the cutoff at Saturday just so we yeah. can get everything set up. Um, then that that we're going to do that. Beyond that, we have a crazy couple of weeks here to round out April for everybody. And I just want to go over a little bit of what we, uh, not only the two of us, but everybody over at Campus to Canton has going on uh, to close out the month. So this Wednesday, 414, Dave Richards from CBS Sports will be joining us on Debbie Debates. And we'll, you know, the, uh, it'll be a normal show just with him on as a guest uh, talking about all sorts of different stuff with, I think, uh, mostly a rookie focus. This Saturday, the Debbie Debate crew will be calling the Alabama Spring Game. We're going to be calling it from a Debbie perspective. Um, so that I think, you know, that's it's something that's not really ever, you know, not being done out there before. We're hoping that maybe this becomes a thing that we do every now and then. So this is kind of our test drive. So that'll be live. You can join us. I'm pretty sure that I'm doing the play by play. You don't want to miss that. <laughs> Beyond that, uh, like I said, on next week's show, we're going to be doing the live show um, just to keep everything above board when we give away the ETN jersey. On the 19th, oh, we have to record on Sunday because the 19th, that Monday, we have the wide receiver summit. We've already done quarterbacks and running backs with all the guys over at C2C. And if you guys have not done or listened or watched either of those before, we do an hour basically with all of us on on a live show and we talk about our top 10 at the site and kind of uh, go back and forth as to why we have some minor differences within those guys. After we get through our top 10, we go private for all our members at the site and we go beyond that. And we just talk about like, you know, it, it, we don't just go like guy to, you know, number 11, 12, 13, 14. We just talk about a bunch of different topics and how it relates back to, in this case, it'll be wide receivers. Those are always really fun. Um, and, you know, it's nice to have everybody all on at once. Then the following week, uh, either the 25th or the 26th, but regardless of uh, that Campus Life episode, we are going to be joined by the guys from Chasing the Natty, so Xavier and Jared. Um, and they are go we're going to be doing another CFF-focused show, uh, obviously, since that's what they dabble in. So that we are really looking forward to that. Those guys are a lot of fun. And if you haven't listened to or watched their show yet, Chasing the Natty, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a weekly listen for me when it comes out. Then on the 29th and 30th, so the Thursday, Friday, day one, day two of the NFL draft, we are going to be doing a live stream during that time. The whole crew at C2C, of, you know, people floating in and out. We have a bunch of names already planned of guys coming on. Nothing that I can or will release at this time, but some really big names, including like a former all two-time all-pro NFL player, um, some big games, names within the industry. 
So it's going to be a really fun time, I think, just breaking down, you know, instant reaction to a lot of different things. And I think we're going to do a, some sort of a mock draft at the end of that. So that'll be fun. Um, so that is what we have coming up. So that is what six things that we have that I think you should probably put on your calendars and be paying attention to because you do not want to miss them. Yeah. A lot of fun, exciting stuff that we got coming out here. Um, you know, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to miss that Alabama game with you calling play by play. Uh, that's something I need to watch live. And, but, uh, yeah, with the draft as well, um, you know, we are opening it up. If you guys are, um, you know, discord members, uh, you know, we're opening up, you know, some, we're, we're getting some of those guys to hop on to and talk with us. So you know, as exciting as it is to get some industry guys and some, some pro, uh, former pros, um, you know, it's, it's, we're opening it up to, you know, everybody, you know, we want to, keep this as inclusive as possible. Um, so, you know, if you're a subscriber and you're in the discord and you're interested, you know, reach out to us. Uh, we mentioned it in there once or twice. We'll probably mention it again. Uh, but yeah, like you said, a lot of fun, exciting stuff coming up here. We're always trying to, trying to keep growing, keep pushing things, keep coming up with new, exciting, somewhat innovative ideas. Um, you know, it's, I, I think we do a pretty good job innovating, um, with some things, but you know, it's, it's, a lot of people out there doing a lot of different things too. So, um, you know, we, we do our best with coming up with the, with new and exciting topics. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so without further ado, then we are going to hop uh, just as we have the past couple of weeks straight into our spring practice roundup, because those are still going on across quite a large portion of the country. I think at this point, every school has kicked off that is doing it. I know there are a couple of schools that just wholesale canceled their uh, spring seasons, I think anybody that was planning on having one is now live. So that is good. Um, we have three, three and a half storylines this week. I don't know exactly how to, <laughs> if we can parse out that the third and fourth there. So we'll call it three and a half. The first one is one, the, probably the one that I found the most interesting out of the three we're going to talk about. So I figured we'd lead off with that one. There are reports out of Texas that third year wide receiver Jordan Whittington has gained Sark's early favor. He's 6'1", 206. He's kind of one of those hybrid guys. Him and Jake Smith came in in the same class. We're both very highly recruited guys. Both kind of play the same position. So I think there was a lot of question as to, you know, which guy would end up winning that role. And it seemed to be Smith early. But now it seems like Sark really likes Whittington. And with Smith out this spring with a foot injury, that's basically been, you know, it's Whittington's time to shine. They've said that he that Sark really likes that he can play pretty much any position across you know the starting wide receiver slots that he wants, and he can line up a little bit in the backfield too. So just a very versatile, intriguing player. Colin, how should we value Jordan Whittington moving forward? Uh, well, I mean, Jordan Whittington, you know, he was a former five-star athlete. Um, you know, he's got that 6'1", 209, like wide receiver running back hybrid type build. Um, so I think he's a guy that if he does man the slot and in an offense that's as explosive as Sark's is, you want those pieces of that offense. Um, I think he's a guy who's probably flying a bit under the radar right now. I think kind of the, the all of those wide receivers as a whole, um, you don't see a ton of buzz about them. Now, we saw some about Troy O'Meary, but he is on the outside. Um, Jake Smith still has you know a, a good pedigree as well, and you know you still hear some people – bring him up here and there, but with him, with that broken foot here and him missing the spring, um, you know, like you said, it really opened up Whittington to, to let him 
kind of er- gain early favor there and and stand out early. My biggest worry with him, though, obviously, is those injuries. Um, you know, he played one game in his freshman year. Uh, he only played five out of ten games last year. Um, he's had two sports hernia surgeries and a knee surgery, so those are those are a bit of a concern for me. But if he can put those behind him, you know, it's going to be wheels up for him. I mean, I think he could have a really, really nice year this year. And, you know, he's kind of fits the mold of the wide receivers that the league is kind of looking for now where it's a bit positionless. You know, you can do a lot of different things with with Whittington. And I think that that's something that the league is going to find attractive as well. So I think he has some decent pro prospects there, too. Yeah, I think uh, we can both agree that there's not a guy at Texas that is established, really, right? I mean, I guess the closest you would have to that would be Joshua Moore, um, who was okay last year. He led the team in receiving, but nobody the the ball was spread around very evenly for the most part. There wasn't one guy that had like 95 catches. So I think Moore had 59, if I remember correctly. I I did not pull up his stats, but but after that, it's probably Jake Smith is number two, but he's missed. Like we said, you know, he's missing this spring. Whittington is getting that shot. They like the injuries are concerning. I a hundred percent agree with that. And so I'm not bumping Whittington 40 spots up in my rankings just because I'm hearing this. Um, But I was starting to write him off. And now I think I'm just not going to do that. That's how I'm valuing him where he, I don't know where he was going in drafts. He's, he's not really been selected in that many of the ones that we've done so far. Um, so it's tough to say like, you know, at his ADP, I wasn't going to take him. He wasn't being valued as a top 15, 20 round guy for most places. I think at this point though, if, if we believe this to be true, then I think he should go in those, um, in those early rounds. It looks so his ADP this past month was 171. So what is that? You know, um, the 13th round, the 14th round. So yeah, I think, roughly. you know, right around there consistently. Cause I think, like I said, he hasn't gone, he hasn't been drafted in a lot of these drafts. Um, but I think, you know, that could, he could consistently settle in around there uh, come this, you know, startup season. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that he may even start to go a little bit higher than that. If he keeps this buzz going and just as people start to catch up on Texas's offense as a whole, uh, just because, like I said, you're going to want pieces of that Texas offense with with Sark there. Um, I think they're going to have high level quarterback play. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Card. Everybody knows that. Uh, but <laughs> um, <laughs> Austin just rolled his eyes pretty hard there. Um, they, almost, they almost fell out of my head. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of Card, as everybody knows. But I think if Casey Thompson does beat card out i think that's still a really good sign for all those skill position players because that means that casey thompson is playing at a very high level uh, you know or card just sucks and i'm completely wrong i don't know but either way i think whoever is the quarterback there is going to be able to sustain you know at least one probably at least one high end probably a high end and a mid end uh wide receiver in this offense so i think people are going to start catching up people are going to start wanting to get these receivers so you're going to start to see their prices drive up a little bit. So, yeah, I think he could definitely settle in in that 13, 14 range with some spikes up into, you know, 11 and 10. Yeah, no, I think that that's going to be a fair range for him um, from one Texas school to another here and another receiver. 
it's we've been already on the ultimate roller coaster with Demond Demas this offseason. You know, they said that he showed up to camp, and I was just looking. So Texas A&M is basically the only school that I've looked at across the probably 70 to 80 websites I've been on that doesn't have a 2021 roster yet. Not exactly sure what they're doing there. Get your get your shit together, Texas A&M, wherever your social media nerd is. You have him put this together quickly. But so I, I can't tell exactly, but they said that he came into camp at over 200 pounds, which is why I was checking. He's still listed at 6'3", 180 on there, but supposedly he's gained 20 pounds. Whatever. I don't believe that, but let's suppose it's true <laughs> for the moment. That's really good because 6'3", 180, not ideal size, kind of scrawny. Uh, especially for the kind of athlete that uh, DeMoss is. Then he went and got arrested for the marijuana stuff, which, you know, at this stage and whatever, that is really not a big deal. It's just the fact that the guy can't stay out of trouble when he was so crap last year. Um, probably should have been a little more focused on football this offseason. What do I know? <laughs> but now it sounds like he's he's been impressing some people in practice a little bit more. I think I was reading an article the other day on 24-7 that Ania Smith was saying that he seems a little more mature this offseason, which is really good. Um, because, you know, with everything else, it sounds like maybe that maturity was lacking. So maybe, you know, something that's happened in the past couple of months has been a kick in the butt. He didn't play at all last year, really, you, you know, a couple of snaps here and there. So, you know, we, we're all over the place with DeMoss, but if this latest report is, is true and he's starting to kind of put things together, does that make you feel better about him? And just, uh, we're in, we're doing a mock right now. We're both in one of these that we do together. And I just took him for the first time ever <laughs> in a mock. He was there in the seventh round. I said, screw it. I thought that was solid value. Um, and this draft has been um, really sharp. Like, I, I guess people probably know what my rankings are. And, and the people on either side of me, up until this past round, have just been taking whatever. I, like the three guys before me would just go like boom, boom, boom. Like the three guys I wanted. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, so uh, but so I, I just took him in the seventh. I thought it was, you know. Since none of this draft was going well how I wanted, I figured I might as well just do that. Yeah, I mean, high upside pick, definitely. That's for sure. Uh, with that athleticism, um, you know, he he ran a four four three forty, a forty one inch vert. Uh, you know, when he was coming out, um, so that was never in question. The high pedigree, you know, five star guy, number three wide receiver in the class. Um, you know, extremely productive in high school. As junior year, he averaged thirty yards per reception. And a touchdown on every, yeah, yeah every other catch. Yeah. Yes, that's like you say the thirty yard one, and somehow that's the least impressive. Yeah, of like the high school metrics that he that he yeah. pulled that year. A TD on every other catch. Um, but yeah, so so highly productive. But then he didn't play his senior year. Um, after he transferred schools, so he was pretty unrefined. He was a more athlete than wide receiver coming into school. So I was definitely lower on him than most people were um i didn't i haven't i don't have him anywhere just because of the price that he was going at and where i was willing to take him they did not mesh um so you know and it looked you know it looked good last year you know he reportedly struggled with the physicality of the game and the practices so you know that's part of the reason why he didn't get on the field much you know didn't even record a catch last year um but, you know, and then he has the marijuana charges in the offseason here. So, you know, he was he was plummeting. So but, you know, maybe maybe he has gotten it turned around. I don't know. Anaya Smith seems to say he has, you know, who seems to be a leader on that team. So, you know, you take it, take his word for what it's worth there. But this is an offense that really needs 
somebody to step up at, at a wide receiver position on, you know, on the outside. And I Smith's probably going to man a little bit of them, uh, mostly in the slot, although he's kind of like a hybrid. Um, so if Damas can step up and be that guy on the outside, you know, that's great. It's great for him. It's, I think it's great for the offense as a whole. The only person it's not that great for is my man Shadrach um, Banks. But, you know, I, I, I still believe in I still think Shadrach could get some time there this year anyway. But even if Damas does do well, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. But like I said, I think Damas playing well is going to just raise that offense as a whole and just make it that much more appealing. He was a guy where just based on his ability as a wide receiver coming out of high school, I did not have him as a top 10 guy, but you couldn't leave him outside your top 10 overall because the athleticism was so, was so good that if you didn't have him there and he blew up, you would look like a total idiot. Like it, it wasn't necessarily a hedge. It was just a, you know, there, the potential was too high to ignore even if it was only a 5% or a 10% chance or whatever that he was able to get there um, just based on his athletic ability. Um, so I think he crept in as like my wide receiver eight or wide receiver nine last year. A lot of opportunity there at Texas A&M. Like you said, um, there's really not a lot of guys there that I like at the wide receiver position. Um, now they do play a lot of two tight end stuff. So that, you know, limits how many guys you can get on the field compared to a lot of these other schools to play three, four wide receivers pretty consistently. Um, but I, I do like him enough that, like I said, the seventh round with this report, sure, why not? Now, in an actual draft, do I think I could get him in the seventh round? Probably not, because I think somebody's going to take the swing on that potential even before I'm still willing to. But, you know, I'm at least like a, a month ago or whatever, I wouldn't have even done that. So, baby steps. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I'm the lowest out of everybody on him. Um, I don't have the rankings pulled up here, but I think in in the seventh round, like that was a fair gamble. But I, like you said, I don't think you're going to get him that late. And especially if he keeps drumming up some news here this offseason, he's a guy that's it's going to get taken earlier and earlier. Yes. Now, and I, I will say, and we're going to talk about this in our next big segment because um, we're talking wide receivers here tonight. I My rankings changed four times a week, probably behind the scenes. And we update that on the first of the month. And I'm not like moving the same guy, you know, a bunch of different times, but it's, right. you know, you, you tinker a little bit here, you tinker a little bit there. Oh, there's this guy that like, I've not really watched before. Now I've watched him. I understand the situation. He moves one way or the other. So um, there, there's a lot of that going on, but on the site right now, it looks like we have him as our wide receiver 34 overall, and the range is pretty tight together. Um, Felix is the highest on him at 24. Matt has him at 28. I have 36. Alfred at 45. Colin at 55. So you're right, Colin. You are the lowest on him. But regardless, that's a fairly tight grouping, really, outside of, of Colin. Um, Thanks. For, for him. So I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's. You know, it's an outlier. So, um, but so uh, I, I hope he does well. Like we always say on the show, we don't root against any of these kids. We, we hope everybody can do well. It's just the nature of the game is that not everybody can. So we try to help you figure out um, who is going to succeed and who's not. Speaking of somebody who sounds like he's succeeding early mm -hmm. and unlike DeMond DeMoss, Marvin Harrison Jr., who, yes, is the son of Marvin Harrison. It's a pretty common name. So, yeah, there's. <laughs> Could be some doubt, um, but yes, it is the Marvin Harrison's son. 
Uh, he was the number 14 wide receiver in the composite this year, mid four-star kid out of Philadelphia. He played in high school with Kyle McCord. They both are heading to Ohio State, and it sounds like Harrison Jr. is getting an early leg up on his co-classmate, uh, wide receiver classmates, Mecca Buka, who was obviously the number one wide receiver in the composite in this year's class, and then Jalen Ballard, who... Oh, I don't remember exactly what he was. Of course, I didn't pull it up here. But he's a top 15 guy as well. So, again, Ohio State has three top 15 wide receivers coming in. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. has lost his black stripe, which, according to uh, Ohio State people, I'd actually never heard this before this year. Um, It Basically, all the freshmen come in and they give them a black stripe that goes down the middle of their helmet. And then once they do enough in practice in the spring or – I'm assuming some of them probably leak over into the season. I don't really know. But they take that stripe off. And that means that you're like officially a Buckeye or whatever. Um, so he, he lost his pretty early on here in spring and he's running. He's the, he's a backup already. He's running with the backups. Um, so is this going to be another class for Ohio state? Um, Cause it pretty much turns out like this every time they bring in one of these classes that the number one guy doesn't end up being the guy out of the group. Uh, yeah, I mean, from everything you're hearing out of, out of spring right now, that's definitely the way the wind is blowing right now. Um, you know, Ryan Day can't stop gushing about Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, he says about how poised he is. He says about how impressive he is in practices. Um, you know, like you said, he's already running with the twos, uh, which is... O- over Julian Fleming, I might add. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It seems like he's really been impressing there. Now it is, like you mentioned, a crowded situation where you got Alave and Wilson um, and uh, JSN seem to be the guys who are one, two, and three on the depth chart. Uh, you know, and and those guys are actually both all three fairly positionless of sorts. JSN is a little bit more slot than Alave and Wilson, but Alave and Wilson can also play in the slot too. So they can move all of these guys around. And I fully expect them to do that. Move all of these guys around, you know, bring guys in, uh, you know, on the outside. You know, I expect them to get these freshmen some playing time, especially with G Scott, G Scott moving to tight end. You know, that opens up a little bit of room there as well. Um, and I think uh, Bruning, Matt Bruning, our resident Ohio State expert, um, says that they like to treat these guys like hockey shifts where they just they bring in one line and then they just swap them out, bring in the next line. So I do fully expect him to get a, a lot of playing time, probably the most out of all of these freshmen. But I, you know, I, I think the other guys are going to get a, a decent, a decent amount of time for freshmen at a big school like this as well. Yeah, the wide receiver room all of a sudden seems less scary for a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., just based on some of the reports that are coming out of Ohio State here. And this is why I said that this was topic three and a half, because like you said, we we have an idea of what the two kind of lines are that they're running right now. So we can just mesh these two discussions together here. It sounds like it is Olave, and they're moving Wilson back outside to accommodate for JSN, because from what I hear, he's looked great. Um, I... I love Jackson Smith and Jigwa so much. I think that's going to be a really deadly wide receiver duo or trio this year. Um, but then behind them, it is um, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Egbuka in the slot, and um, um, Jameson Williams. Yes, that's the one. Thank you. Uh, Jameson Williams is the other one. So Julian Fleming not on the two deep at the moment. Is there a transfer in the future? 
possibly. But all of a sudden, you know, this wide receiver room, it, you would assume, well, Alave is definitely gone after this year. Wilson's probably gone after this year. So all of a sudden, you just have JSN, who's a slot guy. And they brought, they always brought him in to be a slot guy. Now, you know, Ebuka's a slot guy too. So, like we said, you know, they'll probably move those guys around a little bit. But that, this is opening up a little bit for Harrison to possibly contribute in his second year there. And that has to be an exciting uh, prospect for people that probably, well, this is happening early enough in the offseason. There are probably aren't a lot of leagues that have drafted yet. So, you probably didn't really buy low on, on Marvin Harrison Jr. But, I mean, I'm really excited for him, and he's he's a real he's six four one ninety, so he's the opposite of his dad, who was a tiny little guy and kind of a field stretcher. He, uh, limiting him to that is not fair, but right, right. You guys, there, everybody knows that type. I mean. Yes, yes. Where Marvin Harrison Jr. is much more of the big bodied outside receiver. Um, so just, I, I'm really, really excited for him. I got him in the program this year, that wide receiver class I brought in and that league just continues to look better and better. <laughs> I have Destin Hill, Ja'Cory Brooks, Lonnie White Jr., Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, I have somebody and Christian Leary. I mean, that's a, uh, I, I got a nice wide receiver class there, but I'm excited for an Ohio State Buckeye. I can't believe I just said that. Yeah. And, and in our freshman auction, um, that we had, I was just looking it up. He went for um, 201, uh, $201 in the auction draft. Just for reference, Ja'Cory Brooks at 301, JoJo Earl at 170. Um, we have Aguille Hall at 151. And I'm trying to find a Mecca Egbuka. He ended up getting bounced around a couple times here. We got Mario Williams at 200. Um, I have to scroll up pretty far here to find Egbuka. Man, I nominated Egbuka on the first day. Egbuka went for three hundred one. Ended up going for three hundred one. So he ended up going for a little bit more than um, Marvin Harrison Jr. But this was like kind of as the news was breaking. Marvin Harrison Jr. was one of the first ones to come off the board. So um, you know, I think if we did this now. Uh, I don't think he would go for that price. He'd probably go for 250 280 especially given how much Ibuka went for. Yeah, and those Ohio State receivers, you know, it's a pass-happy offense, and they've shown they can support a couple of these guys. So um, so I think not only is the Marvin Harrison Jr. situation worth monitoring, but as we've seen, you know, G. Scott shifting positions. Now we'll see what happens with the twos, I think, is really going to be the next battle on that campus for the wide receivers. Now we just need to figure out who their quarterback is. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a very wide receiver heavy episode here tonight. Um, Cause as we said a few minutes ago, uh, the big segment here in the middle of the episode is going to be more of a CFF focus. And we're going to talk some wide receivers that are that you're taking mostly for their CFF production. And if something happens in the future in the league, then that's just icing on top of the cake. You're probably not taking them with that expected. And I tried to pick out seven guys that we're going to talk about here tonight that, like I said, they're mostly you're taking them for their college production. They have varying sizes and skill sets and all that kind of stuff but they're all kind of considered high-end CFF options. Um, I did not include Reggie Roberson in this, and I did not include him because I think 
we're all working under the assumption more or less that when Reggie Roberson is healthy, there is probably not a wide receiver for college fantasy that you'd rather have than Roberson. I feel decent saying that new quarterback this year might shake that up a little bit, but when healthy Roberson just eats. So we, I did not include him here, but the seven guys that I have tonight, and I'm going to name them all here first. And then we're kind of going to go one by one through them. And as we're doing this, this is going to help us shake out our rankings a little bit <laughs> and decide how we want to, how we want to move some of these guys around. If that sounds cool with you, Colin. Yeah. I mean, you're, you guys are going to hear, but not like live, live, but pretty much live uh, updates of our rankings here. Because yes. uh, as you brought this up to me and as you put this on the sheet here, like I moved some guys around and I'm still moving guys around and I'm probably going to move some guys around here after as we're talking on the show. Yes. So that's what we're going to wait till after we go through the seven and then we're going to say how we have them in our rankings. And that might change because I have my order on here. But it might be slightly different after we're finished talking here. So I'm very yeah. interested to do this. We'll probably do this a couple other times. And wide receiver is a really fun position to do it at just because uh, there's a lot of variables, probably more variables than running back that can affect the play. And that's why I think it's it brings up some different things. But but we'll do this a bunch of times. So, um, so here are the seven contestants tonight. We have Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. We have Calvin Austin III from Memphis. Jalen Cropper from Fresno, Romeo Dubs from Nevada, Khalil Shakir from Boise, Ja'Cory Roberson from Wake Forest, and Jalen Robinson from UCF. So some different shapes and sizes on these guys here. Um, Colin, I have Khalil Shakir written down to discuss first, if that's okay with you. And I'll lay out a little bit of this guy, and then I'll kick it to you, and we can kind of debate. So the basics on Khalil Shakir. He is six foot 188 on the Boise website. He is the clear alpha in their offense. We don't know who his quarterback is going to be with 100% certainty, though. Bachmeyer is the incumbent. He's being challenged this offseason by uh, transfer Jack Sears, who came over from USC. And Sears was the fourth rated pro style quarterback in the 2017 class. Um, so he has some pedigree behind him, and reports have said that he looks really good in camp. So this that's a situation to monitor there. Shakir is dangerous in the passing and rushing game. Last year in seven games, he had 17 carries and 52 catches. Um, so Colin, I'll just kick right over to you then. What are your thoughts on Shakir? So uh, Shakir is also the guy that I have listed first uh, on this list here. I think he's the guy that I think, feel the most confident on with his pro prospects. Um, you know, he's, he's versatile. Like you said, he's got the rushing and the receiving options. Um, I think he's a, a good route runner as well. You know, he's, he's got the production is that you're looking for too. Um, and production from a, an offense that wasn't really all that pass heavy uh, under Harson. you know, they typically leaned a little bit more on the run game. Um, but with, uh, Boise state, they have a new offensive coach now with Harson, or they have a new head coach now with, um, Harson going to Auburn. Um, but he's a defensive minded guy and Andy Avalos. So they brought in a new offensive coordinator, Tim plow or pluff. I'm not exactly sure how to say that one. Uh, but he was from UC Davis, uh, the FCS level, and they ran a fast paced, high scoring offense. Uh, before he got to UC Davis, he was a wide receiver coach at Northern Arizona from 2013 to 2017. 
And in those four years, he had four all big sky wide receivers. Uh, then he went to UC Davis in 2017, and they led the big sky in offense and set 20 school records. He also coached Keelan Doss uh, that year, who got a little bit of buzz as a you know sleeper on the dynasty side. Um, he was Keelan Doss was on the uh, Walter Payton Award watch list, which is, from my understanding, basically the FCS's version of the Heisman. Um, and then in 2018, uh, UC Davis had the third uh, passing. They were the third in passing offense in FCS, seventh total, eighth in scoring. Uh, 2019, they were 22nd nationally in offense. That obviously they didn't play in 2020 because FCS is playing in the spring, and he's at Boise now. Uh, so, and he was at Boise in January. But all that is to say that you know this is this is a boon for a wide receiver prospect to get an offensive coordinator with that kind of a pedigree as far as offense goes, but then also that kind of a wide receiver pedigree as well. So I already liked him a lot. And as I kept looking into this more, uh, you know, I, I like that a lot for him. I think he can really develop under uh, Tim Pluff, Plow. Not exactly sure. Again, um, we're just going to call him Plow. But I think that's. I think he could really develop his game even further under him, and I think he can turn into a really nice pro prospect from the wide receiver standpoint. My only question is going to be his draft capital. Um, I don't know exactly where he's going to get the draft capital. I think that's going to come this year we're going to figure that out a little bit more but i think either way he has two good quarterback options whether it is bachmeyer that wins the job or whether it's sears I, I think both of those guys are going to be able to sustain wide receiver production and i think it's going to be wheels up for him this year in college i think he's going to be one of the highest scoring wide receivers in college fantasy this year Yes, I really, really like Shakir as of right now. And I don't think that's going to change based on our discussion here tonight. He is my number one guy of all these guys because I agree with you. I think he is the one where I feel pretty comfortable. That he's going to do something in the NFL or have some sort of draft capital. I think as long as he doesn't come out this year and either get re-injured or just totally have an awful season, I think he would go at worst round, late round four, maybe. Because he's a really good athlete. He's versatile. He can do a lot of different things. He's not just a gadget guy. I think he can work within the uh, flow of an offense very well, which is something that I think is important. And especially when you're looking at some of these uh, G5 guys that they're clearly the most athletic and best player on their team. You want to see them doing more than just taking sweeps and bubble screens and um, just, you know, they, they flood the entire right side of the field and leak the, you know, leak him out to the left and that he's wide 30 yards of space in front of him. You know, you want to see some things where he's able to make to beat a guy or beat some double coverage or, you know, go up and win over top of somebody. Um, I think he is, he can work all areas of the field. I really, really like him. And for all these guys tonight, I went out and just pulled out some of the things um, analytically. I'm not a huge numbers guy or whatever, but there are some things that I look at when I look at some of these guys to help me kind of, figure out what not only what role I think that they could probably play in the NFL, but what role I think the NFL is going to see them in because that can also help dictate some draft capital. So I pulled for all these guys, their ADOT for last year, their target or their, um, their snaps out of the slot and then how their drop percentage, how many drops on how many targets. So for Shakir last year, he had an ADOT of 10.7, which was 28th in the country. Uh, for guys that qualified, I think it was, I, I put it at pretty, pretty low. It was like 70 targets or something. So, you know, no bit players in there. Um, so 10.7 is really, really solid, you know, double digits, really nice to see. 
he took 32% of his snaps out of the slot. And then uh, he lined up in the backfield or something like 1% of the time, but then the rest was <laughs> out wide. So, you know, versatile inside, outside like that. He's not just a slot guy. I think that helps his draft capital. And then he had four drops on 52 targets, which is a little high, 7.7%, but not terrible. And I don't think he has a history of drops per se. So it doesn't kill him for me if he does it again this year. Maybe you start getting a tiny bit concerned, but I'm not there yet. So all that, I, I like all of those things uh, for him. I think those are all pluses in his eventual draft profile. Yeah, I I, so I didn't pull out those those stats. Um, did you get those from PFF? Or? I did, yes. I pull everything okay. that I'm pulling off in terms of those things are all going to be from PFF tonight, guys. Yes. Gotcha. Good to know. Yeah, I, I need to start looking at PFF stats more. Um, just I never had a, a PFF subscription, um, you know, before. Uh, you know, Alfred Fernandez, friend of the show, generous enough to, uh, you know, be a pal and, and hook me up a little bit there. So I do need to start using that a little bit more. Oh, I um, still use Mance. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm logged in. I remember it's my stuff. So <laughs> fair enough. So we're stealing from uh, from our friends. From um, somebody. Yeah. From somebody. But yeah, I need to start using that a little bit more. But those are, uh, those are really good stats there to, to indicate that, like you said, he's he's going to be position versatile and he's going to have a role in the NFL there. And I'm with you. I think that that's the guy I feel the most comfortable with that for. And that's why he's, you know, ahead of everybody else here for me. Um, And again, I'm going to need to go back and fine tune some of my rankings here because I don't think that it indicates uh, what my thoughts are on him quite well enough. I think I'm a little bit lower on him in my rankings than I should be. So he is certainly going to be somebody who's going to be rising after this episode for me. Cool. Um, so then let's move on to the next guy here. And like I said, I put these in no particular order when I was going through this. I literally was just like, as I was searching them, basically is how they, I, I ordered them here. So the second guy I have down here is Jalen Robinson. Robinson, like I said, wide receiver at UCF. So just a couple things about him. Very small, 5'9", 163. He profiles mostly as a deep threat at this point. I think that's the role that he filled the most last year uh, coming into the year. I thought he would be more of a slot shifty slot guy. That was not the case. We'll see if that continues into next year because new coach, new coaching system, his wide receiver one along with him, Marlon Williams is gone. Can he fill that role? We don't know. Um, so I think out of all these guys we're going to talk about tonight, he is currently my lowest ranked and it's because he has the most question marks surrounding his entire profile going into the year yeah i agree with that i was pretty high on jalen robinson when i thought josh heupel was still going to be there you know because he was going to be the wide receiver one on that offense and he produced last year you know through 10 games last year 55 catches 979 yards and six touchdowns as the wide receiver two you know behind marlon williams and i think that you know he would have been set to explode um you know, now with Malzahn coming in, you know, Malzahn's more, a little bit more run heavy, doesn't really have as much wide receiver production in his offenses, but the wide receiver production that he does have typically comes from bigger wide receivers. And Jalen Robinson at 5'9", 163, does not fit that mold at all. <laughs> now, I think that Robinson's connection with Dylan Gabriel and the fact that there is like no other wide receivers on that offense like that that's left like there's nobody left at all um i think that that's still gonna bode well for him 
and he'll still put up some decent production. But at the same time, you know, he is the guy that I was the highest on and I've dropped him some and I'm probably going to drop him again. Um, you know, once I find once I retool my rankings here a little bit. So, you know, I think I'm going to, like I said, we're, you're hearing some live reactions here. I'm definitely dropping Jalen Robinson with everything going on um, with this situation now. So I'm not nearly as high as I was before. And I don't necessarily think he has great pro prospects at 5'9", 163. He's got a bulk up there, you know, before he's going to, he's essentially kind of like 2-2 Atwell, where, you know, great, great college receiver, a lot of production there, but can he do it in the pros? I, I don't know. I was about to say, I think Tutu Atwell is going to be the test case for how the NFL is probably also going to think about Robinson next year. And for the record, as someone who has watched a lot of Tutu and if enough of Jalen Robinson to be able to feel fairly confident in what I what I think of him as his role, Tutu is a much more well-rounded player. I think he has better hands. I think he can do a lot more things in terms of the red zone. Um, he, I just think he's a much more versatile and stronger player he plays bigger than his listed weight i don't think jalen robinson really does and robinson i think is more limited to a deep role so but i do think you know that size is going to be a test case this offseason to see what the nfl really thinks of those guys um because hamler went and went the third last year and hamler uh, i think it was late second so late second i think okay. so let me look it up quick go uh, ahead but regardless like ha- hamler makes robinson uh, or Robinson makes Hamler look like an alpha, like Julio Jones, like an alpha, like in terms of their size. So, um, I, and uh, in terms of the PFF stuff here, just, you know, what the NFL is probably going to think of him. He had a 13.6 a dot, which was 10th in the country. So working deep a lot, as I said, only 12% of the sl- his snaps out of the slot. So he was working outside a lot. So that is a positive. Um, the big one here is 11 drops on 87 targets. It's 12, 12.6% drop rate. Um, that's really bad. Once you start getting above like eight or 9%, and especially in the double digits, that really starts scaring me. And we only have one year of production out of him. So I can't go back and look at other years and see if that's an anomaly or not. So if he does somewhere in that ballpark again next year, now you're talking about a guy that's really tiny profiles, mostly in one, basically one role and drops a shit ton of passes. Not sure how that works out for him in the long term. Uh, for the record, KJ Hamler, second round, 46th pick. So mid-second round, actually. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, now, my my thing with Jalen Robinson is, you know, when I watched him, uh, you know, I thought he tracked the ball well. I don't think it was a, those drops were a concentration issue. I think he probably just has little baby hands. That is, <laughs> that is, that is my guess. I think that's probably why he drops as many passes as he does. So I don't know if that's something that's going to necessarily be correctable. Um, you know, we'll see this year, like you said, you know, we only saw one year of it. Uh, you know, let's see what he does this year, but that's my guess. Like, as I said, I, I thought he tracked the ball. Well, I thought he, you know, you, you know, it's extended away from his frame pretty well at times. He wasn't body catching everything. Uh, like I said, I think it's probably has more to do with his hand size, which is a, a flag for sure. Um, yeah, that, you know. that's not better. Definitely. <laughs> 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 that's definitely not a, a positive. Flag. No, it's not. Um, so the next guy I have on here is Ja'Cory Robertson. Uh, the third, or he just finished up his third year at Wake Forest. Uh, Roberson is listed at 6'1", 182. He came out of nowhere in 2020. I don't think I saw 
anybody talking about this kid in terms of anything uh, going into the year. I think everybody thought that it was going to be the Donovan Green show once Sage Surratt opted out, and he outproduced uh, Donovan Green, I think, in pretty much every single category. In nine games, 62 catches, 926 yards, eight touchdowns, no rushing production, which I think is a little bit notable. Uh, some of these guys have it, some, some of them don't, but he is a guy that does not. Um, so, uh, former low three-star guys, so not a lot of pedigree there. Colin, what are, what do you think of Roberson? I will say Roberson is somebody that I definitely need to actually watch more of. I, you know, I didn't really watch any Wake Forest this year. They weren't particularly you lucky high. dog. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't particularly high on my list of teams that I wanted to watch. Um, so I do need to actually sit down and watch him, but I do really like his production. Um, and he, like you said, he got he got overlooked because everybody kind of thought it was going to be Donovan Green's gig once Surratt opted out. Uh, so he's definitely the guy that I am in my most in the most recent ranking updates. Uh, I'm I'm fairly low on him. I'm the lowest on him out of everybody. I have him at 76. And again, that's more just because I haven't watched enough of him yet. So he's going to be on my priority watch list here because regardless of what he ends up being as a pro prospect and what I come away with thinking there, Wake Forest was actually 26th in passing offense this year. which Because they're down all the time, baby. That's the, yeah. that's the, the golden zone. <laughs> which is fair, but that's something that wasn't something I expected. Um, and Sam Hartman, he had that abysmal game um, – was had it against Wisconsin in the bowl game, I think. Yeah, he had that abysmal game against Wisconsin in the bowl game, which as much as it sucks for everybody in Wake Forest's offense, and, and for me, that was the only game I actually watched. So I can't yeah, I feel was, like I, you couldn't take anything away from that. Game. I feel like I came away with a little bit skewed of a perspective on there. So I do need to go back and watch some of those guys again because you know he, he put up that production. Um, through nine games, like you said, 62 catches, 962, 926 yards and eight touchdowns. Like that's some really impressive production. That's a hundred yards a game, almost a touchdown per game, about seven catches per game. So that's some high end wide receiver production. And at six, one, you know, if he bulks up a little bit more, you know, he puts on maybe 10 pounds. He's looking at six, one, one That's a little bit better. If he can even hit the 200 threshold, I'm even happier about that. So he kind of prototypes or profiles there as a guy who may be a decent pro prospect. Um, but again, like I said, I'll have to dig into him a little bit more. I watched him for the first time really preparing for tonight's show. So I have some some fresh thoughts in my mind. And I do just want to emphasize here before we continue on with these guys. <clears throat> I know that we're saying that this is like a CFF um, uh tilted discussion but when we're discussing these guys in terms of rankings we are still talking about them in a c2c context we're yeah. just in the, we're talking about what are they going to do for us in the cff uh lent through the cff lens and then basically what do we think if the, do they have nfl potential beyond that and i think that's what kind of starts separating some of these guys so we're not th- we're not ranking these guys on how we think they're going to finish this year or anything like that so don't think that um because that's not exactly what we're doing here um so i did just want to throw that disclaimer out before we no, that was a good point. Into this, um, so Jacory Roberson. Um, so just the the PFF stuff that I pulled for him. So ten point four a dot. So solid double digits again, thirtieth in the country uh, in terms of qualifying wide receivers. 
four drops and 87 targets, so 4.5%. Really good. Like to see that under 5% is awesome. Really love that. The one that was a bit of a kicker, and I didn't quite realize when I went to watch him, is that he took 76% of his snaps in the slot last year. Now, that doesn't hurt him necessarily. It's not necessarily a plus considering some of these other guys play outside a little bit more. And I think, you know, the NFL values that a little bit more than guys that are strictly slots in college because that means that you're almost certainly a slot in the NFL, whereas the NFL can shift you around a little bit if you've mostly played outside. Um, I kind of like his game, though. You know, I don't love him when I was watching him, but he's, you know, solid releases, uh, really smart against zone coverage, able to find some of those holes in there. Just looked like a veteran, like savvy slot guy out there. I, I kind of liked watching him. It was enjoyable. And I do like those, you know, six foot lanky wide receivers. So, you know, he was kind of in my wheelhouse, but I came away not, not, I wouldn't say impressed is probably too strong of a word, but I came away feeling okay about him. And, you know, he's going to be a little bit older coming into the NFL next year. So I'm not sure how the NFL will view him, but. I kind of like him, and I think he's probably going to get drafted if he follows up what he did last year this year. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I definitely think you're right. He probably will get drafted if he has a repeat performance here. The question is going to be where does he get drafted? And like you said, he it seems like he's profiling a little bit more as a slot guy, and not everybody can be Justin Jefferson, where they played a lot of slot snaps and everybody thought they were going to be a slot guy, and then he, they have success out wide. I think that's more the exception than the rule. So if he is strictly a slot, it's not really that huge of a problem because teams in the NFL really are going three wide a lot more, but it's just something kind of to note. It is like a flag, you know, maybe not a red flag, maybe more like a yellow flag, but um, that would be something to be a little bit concerned about. I agree. I agree. Um, and of the seven that we're talking about here tonight, I think maybe beyond Jalen Robinson, he is possibly the riskiest college play just because we, you know, one year in a COVID year and an offense where we thought somebody else was going to do what he did. So we'll see if he can put up that same kind of year again next year. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying in terms of if you're trying to minimize your risk, maybe you don't take Roberson or some of these other guys, if you're looking for strictly production um, at, at that point. Um, so the next guy here is the first of our Jalen's that we are going to talk about. It's Jalen Tolbert. Uh, Tolbert is 6'3", 195. He is at South Alabama. Last season, 64 catches, 1,085 yards, eight touchdowns. Uh, another guy that had zero rushing production. Um, but he is the guy out of all of these guys with that size and kind of his skill set that has that alpha skill set. Now, he's small school and he's an old prospect. So I'm not saying that this is a guy that you're buying and he you know, profiles to be an alpha in the NFL per se, but he has that really nice size and he's a solid athlete. Um, he does have a new QB this year and Jake Bentley. And whatever we think of Jake Bentley, you know, I think Jake Bentley prob- is crap. I think he's <laughs> shown that at multiple stops amongst the P5. South Alabama might be his level. And it does sound like Bentley and Tolbert are getting along really well this spring. They just had their first scrimmage. And I think Tolbert had like eight, 121, and two. Um, so just a big athletic guy in a conference that doesn't exactly have a lot of big athletic defenders could absolutely feast this year and could be the best college producer out of all these guys this year. 
Yeah, I definitely think he could be a high-end college producer. He has the size that you're looking for, for the most part, for an NFL guy. I think he'll probably put up, he'll probably mirror the same production that he had this past year, maybe even a little bit higher at 64 catches, uh, 1,085 yards and eight touchdowns through 11 games. Um, And South Alabama was upper middle tier of passing offenses. They were 46th uh, on a yards per game basis. That's what I base all of my um, passing offense ranks off of is just yards per game. Um, Just as, as a disclaimer there. But, you know, I think that that's probably I think that's repeatable for them as well, especially getting Jake Bentley in Uh, now. Jake Bentley, I'm with you there. I'm not really a big fan of his. I I don't think he's very good overall. Uh, He was with South Carolina for four years. He was okay there. Um, Got hurt. Medical redshirt 2019 transferred to Utah 2020. Didn't do anything there. So he's about to be a sixth year guy. So if nothing else, you could say he's a lot of game experience. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, like you said, they, they've been, Jake Bentley's reportedly looked pretty good. It's in spring. Now I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of that. Um, just because he better look good at South Alabama. He, he's playing South Alabama's defense. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So he better look good, but you know, it, it is still at least reassuring to, for Jalen Tolbert's uh, prospects to hear that he is playing really well there. So, you know, he's a guy that I think strictly CFF, you know, he's going to go pretty early. Um, C2C, I think he's going to go really late, you know, and, and you got to kind of find a balance on those types of guys. I'm probably going to be a little bit on the lower end with Tolbert, but you know, I, I still think he's going to put up a lot of production. Yeah. I think he's going to absolutely smash. Um, I have, he is a target for me in any leagues that I'm trying to compete in this year that I don't like uh, we were talking in the league that we've been talking about, where we have this auction. I'm really deep at running back and my top three wide receivers, top four wide receivers. I feel really good about I have Jahan Dotson, uh, Chris Olave, Josh Downs and Chris Hoffman Bell. And then it's a wasteland behind them. So that, in that kind of a league, I'm going to try to go get Jalen Tolbert wherever I can. If I'm trying to compete, like I said, because I, oh man, he's he's going to put it, barring any sort of injury, he's just going to absolutely crush it this year. And just a couple notes about him, the PFF information here. So this is some really fun stuff. Now I realize the level of competition here is awful. So you know, we're keeping Disclaimer. all this in mind. He had an A dot of seventeen point one last year, which was tied for third in the country among qualifying wide receivers. Five drops on one hundred and five targets, so four point seven percent. So two thumbs way up on both of those. And 1.6% in the slot, the rest out wide. So if I had three thumbs, we'd have three thumbs way (laughs) up on that. Those are three things that we really like to see. And so I think that he, you know, like I said, he's an older guy. But I still think if he goes out and he smashes again this year and he puts up similar profile type things to that, that he gets drafted. Not high. He's going to be a day three guy. But right. Right. And, but I mean, with those types of guys, the day three guys from small G5 schools that don't typically produce much, like that's about as much as you can hope for. And I think that if he does get day three draft capital, you know, you're going to start hearing him hyped a little bit up as a sleeper, um, Mm -hmm. you know, by, by the dynasty community. But I, you know, and it'd be great if he could do a lot in the NFL. You know, I'm just, I'm a little skeptical there of of his pro prospects. Yeah. I mean, what do you want from me? (laughs) No, I mean, I think you, you brought up a lot of really good points there. You know, I I think, uh, you know, I I think any draft capital for him is going to be good draft capital, but 
you know, this this is a really fun back and forth on these guys tonight because I'm just like like setting the flame, and then Colin's coming in with the fire hose and just like <laughs> spraying all over whatever I say. But it's good, you know. So this this don't, is the process. Vi- that's not a visual. Do not visualize that. Oh, please do. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so our next guy is Calvin Austin the third. He's at Memphis. Calvin is 5'9", 162, so another smaller guy. He last year had 63 catches, 1,053 yards, 11 touchdowns, uh, two rushes for 14 yards. So not a lot of rushing production, but he gave him a couple. He has proven that he can be the guy in an offense, which is a good, that's a plus. And he should be again in 2021, we figure. They do have a new QB, so that is going to put a little bit of a question mark around him. And they lose Taj Washington, so there's... There's some question marks in that offense in terms of how things are going to work out. But Colin, how do you feel about Calvin Austin, who I think is just from the CFF drafts and stuff I've done, he goes, I think the earliest of all these guys, I've seen him go in the first or second round in a lot of Mike Bainbridge's stuff. Yeah. I mean, I I like Calvin Austin. Um, You know, I think he can have a really nice year this year. He's pretty much the last wide receiver standing there. Um, you know, and, and Memphis's offense was the number 17 passing offense the past year. They do bring in Grant Cannell, who's a guy that I like, and I feel like I feel pretty good about him running that offense. So I think he can definitely mirror the same production that he had from last year, uh, which, you know, 63 catches, 1,053 yards, six touchdowns through 11 games. So, you know, I think he could put that up again for sure. You know, probably potentially even better than that. Um, you know, but. Five nine one sixty two. I don't know how much we, you know, like you said, before, like we were talking about um, with Jalen Robinson. I think that Tutu Atwell is going to kind of be the test case for this year. Um, you know, depending on depending on how well he does this year, and depending on how well Tutu Atwell does, you know, we'll see what ends up being his pro prospects. But you know, if everybody in the CFF community is is in on him producing this year. You know, that's definitely enough to make me pay attention. Um, I will just say, you know, one slightly unrelated note. I, I like Samar Nash or Samir Nash, uh, the transfer from uh, Arkansas who came into Memphis there. Um, so, you know, I think he could provide a nice compliment for Calvin Austin on the outside. But Calvin Austin's the guy you want in that offense. And I think he's going to put up a lot of production this year. Yeah, and just the PFF information again here for him. So 13.4 ADOT, which was 11th in the country. So that's good. Uh, 21% of his snaps in the slot. So a pretty nice mix, you know, not not uh, slot heavy. And uh, nine drops in 119 targets, which works out to about 7.6%. So that's about average. That's okay. You know, we don't love it, but it's, um, it's not awful either. So... Um, those are all pretty good things uh, going for him. The NFL, you have to think, would like some of those things as well. The big, the, the limiting factor is the size. A thousand percent is his size. And it's just so difficult to envision. The height isn't necessarily what scares you with some of these guys. It's the weight. Yeah. You know, 5'9 is forgivable. 162 is not forgivable. And unless you're a very special player like Devonta Smith. And even then, you know, the I think we the don't NFL know. likes him, but A, we don't know, and B, Twitter is ablaze. So <laughs> um, so I, I think that's going to be the big question mark for him going into the year, um, and we'll see if he can bulk up or anything a little bit there. 
Um, so moving on to our second Jalen that we have here tonight, Jalen Cropper. Uh, Cropper is a four-star, former four-star athlete, six foot one seventy from around Fresno. So he stayed home, hometown kid. Uh, really like to see that. He t- really took off last year in his second year on campus with uh, Jake Hayner's arrival. Uh, 37 catches, 520 yards, five touchdowns in six games. Um, I he's just he's a really good athlete, and he's there have been glowing reports out of spring here. I think they um, they give away a most improved player at Fresno um, during like after the strength and conditioning program in the offseason before the football part begins, and he won it. So that's really cool to see. It's it probably mm-hmm. signifies nice work ethic and all that kind of stuff, and hopefully he's bulked a little bit. Um, Colin, what do you think about Cropper? Uh, so I do like Cropper. Um, you know, you like to see that production. Limited sample size last year, but you still like to see it. Um, six foot one sixty. Uh, don't love that weight there. Um, you know, you want to see a little bit more. You, you know, you want to see him at least at like one eighty or something. I, I have him at one seventy for what it's worth from their website. So okay. Um, well, I pulled mine off of um, Sports Reference. Um, gotcha. But still, yeah, I think because I, I think Sports Reference hasn't updated with all the new um, rosters yet. For s- some fair. of them, that has some of them that haven't. So that's fair. Uh, but either way, still pretty light. So I don't I don't know about the weight there. You're going to need to see that get up a little bit more. But you do like to see his you know versatility there. I mean, he was mostly used as a rusher uh, his freshman year. He was used a little bit last year, not a lot. Um, transitioned more to wide receiver. Um, so that was really his first year as a wide receiver. So you said he was coming out, he was an athlete. Um, but Fresno State, the number five passing offense. So that's an offense that you want some pieces of. We already touched on Fresno State's offense in a, in a previous show. Um, I don't think number five is necessarily sustainable, but I definitely think they can be a top 20 passing offense for sure. Um, you know, and even, you know, up around up to 15, up in that area, potentially for sure. Um, so, you know, you want, you want the wide receiver in that offense there. And, um, for everybody out there here, if you want to hear Austin get mad live, um, in the, uh, auction that we were talking about there, I tried to get cute and I tried to sneak Jalen Cropper through in the early section of the draft where everybody was going gung ho after these freshmen, I thought I could maybe slide him under the radar, get him real cheap. And he got bit up real quick. Yeah, I will leave the message. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I can repeat it verbatim on the show here, but it was, it was along the lines of there's so much money out there. Why would you try to do that? And, I, I got a little too cute with it. Um, like I said, I thought with all the freshmen out there, people were throwing money at those guys. I thought, you know, maybe you could slide them under the radar a little bit, but it did not work out the way I hoped it would. So, you know, lesson learned there. Uh, don't get too cute in auctions, but yeah, no, he was a guy that I was definitely targeting as well. Cause I think he's going to have a really, really nice year this year. I, I think so too. I think that he's only going to do better in another year with Hayner and that offense. Cause it, he's clearly the go-to guy there. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if him and Ronnie rivers are their two leading receivers in terms of just bulk, you know, number of passes uh, caught. Uh, just a little bit of the additional info on Cropper here. So he played 91% of his snaps out of the slot last year. So probably most likely just a slot guy in the NFL. 
9.4 ADOT, um, which was not within the top 30 or 40 guys in college, but still not terrible. It's close to that double digits, so not bad. Um, and makes sense because they try to get the ball in his hands in by any means possible. So that's that's a little bit of a concern. We want to see him work within the flow of an offense a little more this year. And then five drops on 58 targets, so 8.6%. Like I said, eight is kind of average, seven, eight. So he's right around average. You want to see it a little bit better, but it's not a, a killer either. Yeah, and I mean, I think you touched on the A dot there. I think that's you know you, you mentioned that they try to get him the the ball in a lot of different ways, a little bit gadgety there, but also just being a slot guy, you know, the nature of that role, you're going to have a lower A dot. So that doesn't concern me all that much. Um, the drop percentage concerns me a little bit there, but it is a small sample size. Uh, so you know, we, we can uh, we can reassess that here then this year as well. But the big obviously red flag for me is the weight. Definitely concerning. 170 is not bad. If he can get up to six foot 180, feel okay about that. It's not ideal, but um, for the kind of player that he is, yeah, yeah, I would feel better as well. So that leaves us with our last guy here of the night, uh, Romeo Dubs. Um, I saved him for last because he's Alfred's favorite. Um, (laughs) Six to 200. This past year in nine games, he put up 58 catches, 1,002 yards, and nine touchdowns. Um, he probably has the best QB of the group. So that's good in terms of if you're looking for some production and a, uh, a quarterback that can probably support one or two really high end guys strong is that level of player. The big question mark for him this year is going to be contending with Elijah cooks. Uh, cooks missed all of last year, I believe with an injury. The last time they played together in 2019 uh, cooks almost, well, 1.5, uh, I don't want to say doubled him up, but so Cooks had the Cooks that year had 76 catches, 926 yards, eight touchdowns. Dubs had 44 for 649 and four. So Cooks was the far superior guy with the two of them are together. With Cooks back this year, I do worry that it cuts into his production. Although, like we said, Strong can probably support two of these guys if they let him sling it enough. Um, so, Colin, what do you think of Dubs? Um, so I like Dubs. Um, Dubs is a guy that. You know, behind Shakir, I think he has the best pro potential out of the group. Um, you know, he's got the best size, six foot two, two hundred pounds. So you like to see that. You know, and I think he can, he could definitely play. He could definitely have a role in the outside there as well. Um, you know, he flashes some nice route running ability too. Flashes strong hands for sure. You mentioned Alfred. Um, did Alfred break down a film session on him, or did he just do a podcast on him? I believe Dubs was one of his sleeper Saturdays. Sleeper Saturdays. Okay. Uh, at this point, maybe a couple months ago, I think. Yeah, I, m- I knew it had been a little while since he did that, so I didn't know if he had started his film reviews at that point or if it was just a pod. But it, it was one of his first ones this off season. Um, now I think he does them regularly every Saturday or almost every Saturday. If you guys haven't been paying attention to them, he brings up a lot of really f- good names on there. I, it's YouTube and. Uh, podcast format. The YouTube one is probably a little more helpful just because he he shows clips while he's talking and you can kind of follow along and watch with him. It's a good series. I would highly recommend it. Agreed. Yeah. But uh, either way, uh, you know, I think that one of the other things that I really like about Romeo Dubes Dubs is that, yes, his production is sophomore year. Uh, Elijah Cooks did, you know, put one, uh, one and a half times his production. So, you know, he... He got outproduced there, but he's been very consistent since his time as a freshman. Um, You know, his freshman year, he had 43 catches, 562 yards, and two touchdowns. 
So for a freshman at a G5 school, you know, you like to see that. That's that's solid production. Um, you know, then his sophomore year, like you touched on 44 for 649 and four touchdowns. Last year, 58,000 yard, two yards and nine touchdowns through nine games. So, you know, he's been good. He's been getting a little bit better each year. You know, so you like to see that. You know, he's going to be a fourth year guy here coming up this year, where Cooks is going to be a fifth year guy. So, you know, we don't necessarily love fourth year guys, although G5 schools, you kind of expect that. So I think it's a little bit more forgivable there. But, you know, I, I think he's, I don't think that hurts his pro prospects getting, you know, outproduced there his true sophomore year by a true junior. Um, and this year, I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how he does with Cooks back. I think if he can still maintain that alpha uh, role in that offense, you know, I like that a lot more for his pro prospects. If he doesn't, I think it takes a hit. But I think given his production overall, I think given Nevada's offensive production overall, I think he's going to get drafted. Uh, So that's always something that we like to see, especially out of these guys that we're talking about here. So I think he is the second best pro prospects, like I touched on. And then Nevada was the number 12 passing offense last year. And I think that that's very repeatable for them. Um, you know, I think that they're probably going to be that 12 to 15 range. So uh, there's going to be a lot to go around there. And like you touched on Strong's the type of guy who can support multiple options. So even if Cooks does come back and does have a really nice year this year, I think Dubs can still produce at a pretty high level for you. Now, the one thing that I think he's guaranteed to be in the NFL, in my opinion, yeah. unless he, and here's why he has reportedly run between a mid four threes and a mid four four forty, like that's kind of his consistent range. So I think regardless, a six two two hundred, even if you know, let's assume he he's hitting the high end of that at four at around mid four fours or whatever, that's still real a really nice <clears throat> uh, speed, and he can work the ball, work it work it deep. You know, he had a seventeen point one a dot last year, which was third in the country. It was tied with Jalen Tolbert, like we talked about earlier. Uh, so that I think at worst, a team's going to take him late to kind of fill that role. Um, just a couple other things about him slot percentage 10.7%. So mostly out slot outside. So that's a good thing. And five drops in 90 targets. So 5.6% uh, drop rate. So again, a very good thing. So profile wise, he really has it all. Really, my only question about him is how limited his NFL upside is going to be if he gets outproduced by Cooks again. That's really that's really my only question. Other than that, I, I think he's a solid late day two, early day three type wide receiver prospect, especially if he continues to hit the upward trajectory into 2021. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, the only thing that I don't like about uh, Romeo Dubs is he's likely the guy who's going to go the highest out of all the guys we talked about in, in C2C, him or Shakir. So at a cost perspective there's a little bit more risk baked into that. Um, And I am trying to filibuster so I can pull up some of the ADP data here um, and just to kind of see where exactly he's going um, on average. And Austin, you're muted. So I'm assuming you're trying to say that you're trying to do the same thing. I I have it up. Oh, you do? Okay. What's his ADP? So Shakir, you were just talking about him and Shakir saying that both mm-hmm. of those guys probably go early. So Shakir is at 155. Wow. So yeah, lower than you would think. Dubs is at 130. So Dubs goes three rounds or, or you know four rounds early or whatever. So um, 
So yeah, Dubs is going I, around. I would, like I would rather I, I would rather have Shakir four rounds later than Dubs. Yeah, I agree. And I, the so that ADP puts him like right around back half of the tenth, uh, towards the eleventh. Uh, if my math is right, which it certainly may not be, but at that price, you know, there's definitely the risk involved there because you're starting to look at you know guys that you at at that point you're looking at guys that you still expect to be um NFL producers. So, you know, just for for reference there, you're looking at well, Gee Scott just changed his position, but you know, you're looking at CJ Johnson there, who's a guy that I like better. Uh you're looking at Donovan Green, you're looking at Christian Leary, um Jonathan Mingo, guys going around in that range there. So, you know, I, I there's a little bit more risk baked in with him with that ADP. There is. Um, and that's why, because Alfred really likes him. And every time Alfred and I talk about it, it just boils down to he's, you know, Elijah Cooks is coming back and he's going too much earlier than these other guys. So, um, but Alfred really likes him. And I think, actually, I wonder where does Alfred have him? He Alfred has him at 39. And Colin, you have him at 38. So you guys are like right beside each other. I do have him at 38. And I boosted, he was the, he was one of the biggest risers for me um, in my, in the latest update. Um, you know, and I think that he's probably fairly safe in that range. There may be a couple guys that jump ahead of him. Um, you know, I like, I like what I'm hearing out of Mookie Cooper. Uh, same thing with Coy Moore. I like what I'm hearing from those guys. Um, Jahan Dotson and Khalil Shakir are probably guys that I should move up a little bit higher. Um. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a guy who's going to climb maybe a little bit there as well. So he's a potential to maybe fall a couple spots, but I don't see him falling past, you know, the early 40s for me. So I have like the, we have a a master sheet that kind of sits in the background that uh, we update all of our rankings on before they go on the site. And I, I think Dubs has already moved for me. So I have Dubs, oh no, actually. So we, I have him 65 in both places um, around. Here's the kind of guys that he's around. So I have him at 65. I have um, Elijah Canyon, 63, Jaden Reed, 64, Jalen Tolbert, 66, Xavier Betts, 67, Frank Ladson, 68. So that's kind of the range that he's in. You know, at that point, you're ju- you're really throwing a dart and you have some hopes that something's going to happen. But if it doesn't, it's not going to crush you like it would if you kind of took that kind of a risk early. Um, so... I'm not that sure what I think about dubs. I wish I'd, I, I just want to see how the first couple of games of 2021 play out. Um, yeah, I agree. But, and the reason I have him a little bit higher there as well, too, is something you touched on. You, I think it's virtually a guarantee that he gets drafted. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas some of the guys that I have below him, you know, we're not really sure, you know, we don't really know what Jonathan Mingo is going to do this year. We think he's going to be the guy who steps into that role as the number one guy on that offense, but we're not really sure. Um, same with Amari and Brown. I don't really know what he's going to do at, at South Carolina. Uh, he's also a little bit undersized, so it's hard to say. I have Destin Hill, Shadrick Banks in those range as well. Um, guys that are freshmen, guys that I like a lot, but we, we haven't seen them on the field at all. So, you know, it's, I, I, that's why I have him, Romeo Debs, a little bit higher there. All right, Colin. So we've come to the moment of truth. I want literally zero explanation out of you. I just want Fair. you to tell. I just want you to tell me what your order is after having this discussion of those seven guys. 
so my order here is uh, Khalil Shakir, Romeo Dubs, Calvin Austin, Jalen Robinson, Jakari Robertson, Jalen Cropper, Jalen Tolbert. And I will just say I almost put Jakari Robertson ahead of Jalen Robinson just for the fact of having Jalen Robinson, Jalen Cropper, Jalen Tolbert in a row, have the three Jalen's grouped together. Yeah, maybe in hindsight I should have chosen some names that were a little different here for tonight so that they were not the same. <laughs> um, but it's not my fault. It's their fault that they all have the same name. Um, so, so my seven here is slightly different than yours. I have Shakir one like you did. Then I have Roberson, Austin, Tolbert, Dubs, Cropper, and Robinson. And that's my order. I'm sticking to it. At least for tonight, I'll wake up in the morning and probably feel differently. All right. <laughs> so we are going to wrap up the show here, guys, with another freshman profile, as we always do. Colin, you have the bigger name of the two guys tonight, so I'm going to let you have some of my time if you need it. Um, I'm talking about a tight end tonight, which we haven't talked about Ooh. any tight ends. Yeah, I'm talking tight end. Um, so, Colin, take it away with uh, Mr. Emeka Egbuka. Yeah, so I wanted to use the time here tonight to talk about Emeka Egbuka. Uh, as the spotlight, um, you know, as we're getting nearer to the to, to freshman draft season here, I, w- I wanted to start highlighting some higher name guys just to give a little bit of thoughts on them. But I picked Ibuka tonight because of the news you're hearing about uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. So Ibuka, uh, five star guy, the number one wide receiver in the class, six one one ninety is what he's listed at. So you know he's got that size that you like to see there, and. I don't necessarily know what his comp- level of competition was. I don't think it was great there in Washington, but he produced immediately, which is something you love to see. Uh, freshman year, he had 44 catches, 808 yards, and 13 touchdowns. He also had 23 carries for 112 yards and played a little bit of defense. Uh, then the, followed that up with 72 catches for 1,492 yards and 23 catches as a sophomore. Um, still played some defense, no uh, no rushing production there, though. Uh, then after that is junior year, 83 catches, 1,607 yards, 25 touchdowns, 12 carries, 48 yards, and five touchdowns there on the ground, which, I mean, on that type of production, I don't really think that's sustainable. Um, but, you know, we can we can move on past that there. Um, I was looking for his senior year production, and I was not able to find any of it. I don't know if they. Pl- I don't think he would have played because Washington played in the spring. In the spring, I'm pretty sure he's that's on right. campus already. I don't think he played. Unlike Heward, who played the season and then went. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he is. I knew he was on campus. I forgot Washington played in the spring, so that makes sense why I couldn't find them. Um, but I'll, you know, with all of that production and that pedigree, there, you know, he's also a high end athlete. A 44240 from the National Combine, a 419 short shuttle, and a 35 and, and 1.1 inch vert from the opening. Um, so you like to see all of that athleticism as well. But then when you pair that with his route running ability, and he, from a talent standpoint, is probably my number one wide receiver in this class. Uh, he's an extremely good route runner. He uses a variety of fakes. He varies his speed throughout the route to kind of throw off the defender a little bit. He sinks his hips well, um, you know, when he needs to decelerate and come back on comeback routes. He's very sharp in and out of his breaks. He has a few release moves in his bag already, and I think he's certainly going to continue to develop those. Um, you know, he's also a very smooth mover. He looks very fluid when he's running. He cuts, sh- he cuts sharply, good stop-start ability. 
Um, you know, like I said, he's got that four, four, two long speed. So you, you feel really good about his long speed. doesn't really get caught from behind too often either. Um, and he can definitely take a screen to the house. Um, you know, he's, he has a nice arsenal of jukes in in his, um, in his toolkit there as well. So he can, <laughs> he can, uh, you know, he can make some guys miss uh, but he also has very good hands. He adjusts the ball very well outside of his frame. Uh, I mean, if you just throw on his 24 seven, profile there and you watch that first huddle video his first like two or three catches are both like really nice one-handed catches um, and he tracks the ball really well in the air too so on those one-handed catches they're both over the shoulder um, you know there's some good concentration on those he also has other over the shoulder catches that he makes that are really nice shows some nice body control on the sidelines and in the air as well um, and you know we talked about it a little bit earlier he's probably going to play that slot role for the number two uh, crew on the uh, the number twos on the Ohio State offense, but I think he shows enough versatility that he could really play any wide receiver position. Um, now we get into his downside here, and while I love his talent, I don't love his situation year one. It's a pretty crowded depth chart this year, so you know I, while it's really nice to see him running with the twos, I don't know how much time and how much production he's going to put up this year. But I do expect the depth chart to clear up some next year. So you know you got Alave gone. Garrett Wilson's probably going to leave. He's got juniors now a tight end. Uh, so like we touched on, that's going to open up. That's not going to be as daunting as it is the next year. Now, it's Ohio State. I'm sure they're going to bring in a five-star wide receiver recruit along with two other four-stars. Um, I think they even have one of the top two guys already on their um, soft committed for next year. So I'm not entirely sure about that. But you know, I think the biggest thing with him is he's kind of flying. He's, he's going to start to fly a little bit under the radar uh, with the Bamba wide receivers. Um, you know, everybody likes all three of those guys. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. getting some serious hype. So he's a guy that I'm probably going to like start to target in like October, November when he's like air quotes disappointed his pedigree a little bit uh, before people realize how much that depth chart may open up next year. So he's a guy that I like a lot. Um, and I think he's going to have really nice pro potential, but I don't think he's going to put up a lot of stats this year. So I'm going to be targeting him mid-year. No, I think that's uh, that was a really good breakdown. He does have a really nice catch radius uh, for a guy that isn't an enormous wide receiver. I think that's one of the first things you kind of notice when you watch him. Um, I'm where did you see you have him ranked amongst your wide receivers for uh, like freshman? At a freshman. Um, just mm-hmm. on a pure talent standpoint, I would probably put him at number one. Um, Whoa. I, Whoa. Okay. I do, uh, I do have Ja'Cory Brooks and JoJo Earl ranked ahead of him, uh, but it's not by much. And um, like I said, I, I like his talent a lot. Interesting. I, I think I have him at seven. Ooh. Um, yeah, and he's probably would even be slightly lower based on opportunity. I do think he'll play at Ohio State, though. Um, you know, like we said earlier, with that with that um, depth chart kind of probably opening up after this year, you have to think that next year we might see a JSN, Abuka, you know, third guy, Marvin Harrison, or whoever, as kind of their big three. That would not be a shocking thing. So year two at Ohio State, it's not that long of a wait. That's not terrible. No. Um, I, yeah, it is intriguing that, I mean, he is a, he was a slot guy in college. I think Aaron high school, I think he does kind of, you know, if he's going to be a, 
good NFL player. I think he is in the the juju like you know profile of guy. Like that's kind of what his um, spectrum is. Like that juju would probably be the best possible outcome. Is kind of that guy that's you know six foot, a little stockier, a little bigger out of the slot can can be physical, but still a pretty solid athlete. I think that's you know if he turns out to be as good as juju, that would be probably about his his ceiling. Um, yeah, but that's still a nice ceiling, I think. Oh, it's really um, good. Yeah, yeah. And he he did play like a fair amount outside in his in his tape um, in high school. Um, you know, they moved him around a lot, but you know, and they'll probably use him more in the slot in uh, at Ohio State. But with JSN there, who knows? Maybe they do move him outside a little bit more, which I think that I would really like to see that. Yeah, I don't have any thoughts as to which guy I, I, I if I had to predict which of those two they'd play outside yeah. over the other. I have that no chance that I ever try to predict that. Cool. Yeah. So that's, and uh, I like that we're getting some of these top, starting to get some of these top guys out of the way. Yeah. So I, I chose for tonight, Elijah Arroyo. And like I said, I seeded some of my time to call on. Cause I don't have that much to talk about with Arroyo. He's a tight end and he's my top tight end in the class. Um, he has been my top tight end in the class since maybe October, November. I, I really, really like his game. Six, four, two, ten. He's a four star kid out of Frisco, Texas. Uh, he is an early enrollee. They did say that he came in a little bit dinged up into spring. Uh, Texas's football season went kind of late. That's why Jojo is not at Alabama because they just finished up their season before spring enrollment began. Uh, Arroyo decided to go to campus anyway, but he's, so they said he's, he's ahead of where he would be if he hadn't showed up, but he's not, you know, there's not a chance for him to really crush the depth chart. Like he might otherwise, um, so just a couple of pros about Arroyo. He is a really good athlete for the position. Really, really good. And that's why I really like him. And he's my number one guy. Although Fadone's a close second. I like both of them. And I think, um, you know, I think they could both become solid pros. Um, but he's just a very, very smooth kid at six four two ten. He has strong hands. He can win at the catch point really, really well. And he's very dangerous in the open field. He's basically everything that you kind of want that modern tight end to be. Um, so that that's a really good thing. It's just some things he needs to work on. He obviously needs to gain weight. 210 is not going to cut it. And, and that's another reason why I would be shocked if he did anything this year. You know, I can't envision him gaining 25 to 30 meaningful pounds uh, this offseason and then being able to transition right into a starting or, you know, contributing spot, especially when they have Will Mallory there and they have um, Mamorella there as well, who some people were really high on when he came into Miami a year or two ago. Um, but that's like my, my only con of him, you know, and some of these tight ends, it's really hard. He, he's going to need to work on his blocking too. There's not a lot of him doing that. Um, and Miami will coach him up on that. You know, there, I know we always say, you know, you don't, you don't scout the helmet, but I think for tight end, there are some schools that you trust their evaluation and development process for that position a little more than you would, um, you know, positions at other schools and those schools that I kind of trust when they do that are Notre Dame, Iowa, and Miami. Those schools seem to consistently know what they're looking for at the position and then develop these guys to become pros. So I like that he's at Miami, that he's going to get a year. He's not going to be forced into doing anything too early and that he can probably look to be like that, that name that starts getting a little bit of hype in next year's spring camp. I think that's kind of what I foresee happening for him. Yeah, I, I like Elijah Royal uh, as well. He's definitely my top tight end in this class. Um, I, I just there's not really any tight end that excited me. Uh, Arroyo is definitely the closest. Um, 
So, uh, you know, I like Arroyo. I like the situation there too as well. Like you said, with Miami tight ends, like you don't want to scout the helmet, but you can kind of bank on on some production out of Miami tight ends. So I like him a lot. Uh, I just, I don't know how high I'm going to take him in, in freshman drafts just because the tight end position is so difficult to develop unless you have like a top tier guy like Michael Mayer or Eric Gilbert. Although, you know, who knows what's going on with Eric Gilbert. Um, maybe coming back to LSU, we don't know. So, you know, even guys like that, it's tough to it's tough to bank on profiles of tight ends until they hit, you know, a consistent production in the college level. Or even some guys never really put up much production in the college level go on and have success in the pros, like guys like George Kittle, um, you know, or guys who move from wide receiver to tight end, like Darren Waller. So there's just a lot of question marks at the tight end position. So I don't typically invest that highly in it. Um, but if you're going to pick one in this freshman class, yeah, Elijah Roy is my guy for that too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for tonight's show. Um, just remember to get those rates reviews in and um, stay tuned in for some of those things we talked about at the beginning of the show here. The two most immediate ones being uh, Dave Richards from CBS on Debbie debate on Wednesday, and then Debbie debate crew calling the Bama spring game. This weekend. Beyond that, uh, follow us along at Campus to Canton. Um, and if you love what we're doing and, and want to help us out, feel free to join over there. Um, we have we're about to have two Jarek tools over there, and they're both going to be pay behind a paywall here very shortly. So if you want access to that kind of data, two ninety nine a month is is nothing for. The how much I, I get more yeah. than $2.99 worth every single oh, day. Yeah. And I sit there and yeah. And, I mean, when and, you think about it too, that's not, that's like what average um, Patreons are, you know, yeah. and you're getting Patreon, you're getting Patreon level data from six, seven, eight guys. So yeah, we, we had a new person join us, but we can't say who it is yet. So um, the, the team is growing, the crew's growing. We're going to have so much more stuff continuing to come out to you guys. Uh, but that's all we've got for tonight, guys. Stay tuned in uh, for later in the week with our Canton Bound, the NFL side of things here at Campus to Canton. And as always, I am Austin. And this is Colin. And enjoy your week, everybody. <laughs>